welcome to Tights Camera Action, the podcast that loves Fridays and really hates cannelloni. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie Kachayas. I'm another of your hosts, Owen Vandenberg. And I'm the third one, Kyle Scherer. <laughs> welcome back. It's been a little while since we've recorded uh, together, guys, and uh, what a return to form it is this week with the... How do you describe Garfield from 2014? 2004. 2004. I wish it was 2014. Why would? Why do you wish it was 2014? I just feel like maybe some of the references wouldn't have felt quite so out of date. <laughs> I could tell that there was a bunch of references that I knew were out of date for 2004. Oh the... man! When Kyle, when I mean, it's it's part of the zeitgeist, though. I mean. When you put in a Got Milk reference in your 2004 movie... Thank then you. It's, That's exactly what I mean. It's you know, 2004 it's, it's, it's and it a was gen- out of It's a generational thing. It's like it, that's, that's why it's, it was such a crossover hit in terms of... Why didn't he like, eat some lasagna and say, where's the beef? Like, that's the, <laughs> the level. Lasagna. Yeah, in the... Yeah. Well, Garfield, it was my pick. And I think it's because... And this yeah, is, oh, hang on. Before you yeah, get into yeah. it, like, normally, so our normal format is like, oh, hey, you picked this one. Why'd you pick it? And it's usually just a fun little, like, intro as to, like, just to allow us to start discussing it. I want to genuinely ask you why. You need to justify this, Kyle, because you put us through... You, I'm, you know how many assignments I'm working on for uni right now? You know how much work I have to do? And I had to spend three hours watching Garfield. It's an hour and 20 minute movie. It takes three hours to watch. <laughs> you need to look me in the eye and tell me why I had to watch the lasagna cat bonanza. So, Garfield, uh, it's because I, I think, and it's, it's no one's fault, but, you know, over the time we've done this podcast, we've kind of strayed from our initial vision, oh, this is- which is just, you know, let's do the iconic comic characters that, and adaptations. That, so let's do, you know, the Superman, your Marmaduke, your Garfield, <laughs> your Watchmen, your Hagar the Horrible, you know, all of these sort of iconic sort of comic uh, characters that are just sort of cemented into our pop culture. And if I had to watch this just so you can do an, uh, an episode-length bit about how you think Garfield is a real comic of, book, part of I'm the out. Comic I'm <laughs> no, Garfield is, it's a phenomenon. It was, it's like a no, no, okay, you get your dollar. type 5 about Garfield out of the way, <laughs> and then we'll talk about this shitty it's piece of It's not really a type movie. 5, it's just that joke. <laughs> You're loose 60. <laughs> loose 60. It's not something he wanted. It's just something that's always been there. Every second, it grips him from within. It's his destiny, his power, his curse. Who is he? Garfield. My life has been saved by the miracle of lasagna. I really wanted to get under the skin of of this adaptation because it's it's not the only Garfield movie that's been made. Garfield has been translated into your various TV shows. It's got a uh, an old cartoon. It's got a CG show, uh, CGI TV show. The two Bill Murray movies, and then a couple of straight-to-DVD sort of classics. But, you know, I thought, let's go with the uh, the big one, the one that made the biggest splash, which is uh, Garfield, or I found out on IMDb, as it's known in Sweden, Gustav. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, that's... I would have been happy to watch this in Swedish. Yeah. <laughs> Gustav, my lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That would actually make this more entertaining. This is... Uh, uh, I don't... Okay. 
I really don't have much to say on this episode. I, um, Kyle made me watch it. I was, I sat there the whole time just sighing. There were a couple of little kind of like kind of guiding lights that I didn't, I didn't mind, but ultimately I just found myself sort of questioning my whole, like a lot of life decisions I'd made along the way to get me to that point. Um, what I, I questioned why we even started this podcast if this was what was going to happen. I, I, would like I, would, to, oh. I don't even know. Like, I'm not even sure if, if, if it's worth it. You know, we've had some wonderful moments, but is this worth it? I would like to put forward that this episode of Tights Camera Action is non-canonical on the grounds that it is not based on a comic book. It, it is a comic. It is, is a comic strip. Strip. And it I is. argued this before, like, when yes. you suggested doing this for the episode, and I, I argued this then because I really didn't want to watch Garfield. Yeah, I know. And, <laughs> and then I, I yielded because I thought, well, I guess we're just going to have one of those episodes where we argue with you about how bad your choice was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a good start. This is a good start because it is a divisive movie. Uh, Garfield 2004. I don't know if it is. Well, to be divisive, you need someone to defend it. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best here, but I mean, I'm talking about in the fan base. It was a very divisive movie because I mean, obviously, it's been around for decades. Uh, Ten years before I was born, it started, and for as long as I can remember, especially when this new wave of sort of comic book movies started, which uh, I mean, Steph sort of delineated it into you know, you've got your original Richard Donner Superman wave, then you've got the X Men wave, then you've got kind of the Marvel wave, and for as long as I can remember. People have been saying, you know, when will Hollywood get Garfield right? Like, what is it going to take for Hollywood to actually adapt this properly, give what, it the sort of this, franchise you're, you're it deserves? Up this narrative and, that never existed. Hold, hold on, and, and, and what, this Garfield movie 2004 reminds me kind of like of the discussion we had about Constantine in a way, because it's like, did it adapt the uh, sort of the the comic perfectly, sort of one to one, and it's like no, it didn't. They made changes. They changed John Arbuckle's career. They they changed the uh, the source of how Odie was introduced into his life. There I will say omissions. there was an opportunity to perfectly adapt this comic, which is that the opening like shot the the opening of the movie is like Garfield's alarm goes off, he wakes up. He says, "I hate Mondays." Yeah. If the credits rolled, rolled at that point, that would be a perfect. No perfect adaptation of a Garfield comic strip, and that would be it. Well, it's kind of we'd it's like be the, fine. It's like the challenge of adapting Watchmen, isn't it? It's like how do you match up? How's your bit comic? going? Yeah, how's, yeah. Your, how's, your, how's your Garfield's a serious comic bit going? How do you match it up to, to what we get on screen? This is just the beginning. I mean, this is you are you are sort of for your bit trying to make I, a I, false no bit. a false dichotomy between. You're, you're trying to uh, make a comic strip the same as a comic franchise, a comic book, and they're not the same thing, Kyle. There's a big difference between, well, you know, a Watchmen graphic novel or, you know, but, 50 then, years of Superman versus 50 years of, yeah, little vignettes in the on the back page of a newspaper that people read to, to okay. stop killing themselves. So you've, you've said your piece. I'll, I'll sort of... I want to continue on with <laughs> they're this. They're not so the same. You, you can't so, say Garfield and Hagar the Horrible are the same as... Like, maybe... I would may- watch the hell out of a gritty, like, super violent Hagar the well, Horrible. I, I thought we could do a bit of fan casting for the... For <laughs> we'll, the cult we'll get there, sorry. Later, we, we, later cut, on. we cut May- Maybe, off, maybe you could, like maybe peanuts like maybe in terms of kind of 
um, I guess, cultural impact and sort of like long-lasting legacy, maybe Peanuts, can, you could argue, has that. And and I love, I'm a big Peanuts fan. Yeah. Every other one... Uh, by the way, my, my fan cast for Peanuts, oh uh, I'll just quickly butt in oh and then you God. can go on. I'm thinking Miles Teller for, for Charlie Brown. Because <laughs> he's got that, he's young, he can play younger, and he's got that raw sort of emotion. Anyway, go on. <laughs> this is not going to end. This bit is not going to end. Okay. So, I just, anyway, I just really don't think, you're trying to make this analogy between, a bit between comic strips and comic book movies, and I just wanted on record that neither Owen and I endorse this analogy, but here we are. Can we get to talking okay, about the movie? We can. So the movie as starring... I was saying before you interrupted, <laughs> this is a Garfield movie. It's not a one-to-one adaptation. It's kind of it's it's got bits for the fans. It's got some you know a bit of fan service in there. Like as I once said, there was the Monday line. There's a few references to, to references to lasagna. A few. So that's that's you know I, I said to to Steph that's like a big slab of red meat for the fans. When John was giving um, lasagna to Garfield, I was like tapping her on the shoulder. I'm like that's from that's from the original graphic novel. I'm so and glad I didn't have to watch this with you. I know. So many times it was it was like it was like that one's for the fans. <laughs> but it was it was so that that was you know if, if, in case if if you're not a big Garfield fan. He does make frequent references to his favorite food being lasagna uh, in the in mm-hmm. most of the graphic novels, and <laughs> I was novels. yeah, I was really pleased. Do you to mean see... collections of best of Garfield? Yeah, well, I mean, oh, when we're talking about like what to adapt, because it's kind of just made up its own plot. It's kind of just a completely fresh new story. I mean, I know that Jim Davis is credited as the writer, so at least it's got a bit of that continuity. Only from there. the creator of comic strip. Yeah, he's not, he's, not, he's not listed as like you know. He's he screen. didn't do he a did, pass on this. He did have a bit of involvement, though. I mean, there would have been an outright well, he was kind involved. of riot if Jim Davis wasn't involved at all. I think he like, was involved in just... picking up the dump truck of money that arrived at his house mm. for it. I mean, he would have been involved in in that exchange. But I mean, you could have easily had a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen situation <laughs> where. Jim Davis just sort of washes his hands of it very publicly, I and then all of the fans. Imagine <laughs> if Jim Davis of... came out and said, "I do not endorse." Yes, this. that would be amazing. Just this, yeah. this, this travesty of an adaptation does not capture the spirit of of what I was trying to do when I reinvented the comic strip. <laughs> that would have been great, but no, Jim Davis is not. Yeah, is not that guy. So I mean, that was lucky. So obviously, it got the Jim Davis stamp of approval. <laughs> Which instantly sort of like, when the movie was in production, that's, that settled a lot of very nervous fans. Um, and then Bill Murray, of course, <laughs> that's a get. So let's, let's, let's jump into how the movie starts. because. So, so this movie stars, just, just when you're watching the credits, when Brecken Meyer is your number one on the call sheet. Mm. You know things, you know, you know... He's number two. Bill Murray's number one. Even well, though he's not there, he's not on set, Bill he's Murray, still number Bill one Murray on the call was, sheet. We didn't even go to set. He recorded this over the phone onto his house. No, Tra- on a boat. Did he? Yeah, this is from the IMDb, IMDb trivia. He recorded this on a boat while filming Life Aquatic. Which is because he knew that if you're going to commit crimes against cinema, you should do them in international waters so that you can't be tried for them. <laughs> Bill Murray's a smart man. He is. But, uh, so, well, Breckenmeyer is our lead sort of uh, live action mm-hmm. um, character, followed by Jennifer Love Hewitt as yep. Liz, the vet mm. um, love interest. Yep. She's terrible in this film. Like, she's, she's legitimately bad. 
And I don't say that lightly. I mean, I'm I'm pretty gen- I'm generally pretty forgiving of actors, but she's terrible in this. Everything movie. of the humans interacting with each other, where there's no Garfield involved, even if he's like in the room, but anything where the humans are talking to each yeah. other felt feels the most first take. Oh. Like everything is 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 first take with no chance of rehearsal or they're just like just get up there and say the line. We don't care. We just want to get back to in the, the 90s orange and, cat. and early two thousands. Breckenmeyer was quite charming as sort of this weird little short, somewhat cute sidekick character that he would play. Like it was often him and Seth Green in movies together or whatever. So wait, what else cool. is he actually? Been? Well, he's in Can't Hardly Wait and Road Trip. He's oh, in sort of like teen okay. movies of the nineties. Yeah. Mm. He's sort of um, he's always had a charm about him. But the fact that he was the yeah. best they could do for this yeah. says a lot. It was basically like he's the can short we William get- Scott that you can bring home to meet your mum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. They basically were like, can we get John Cusack? No. Can we get... <laughs> oh, he would have been fantastic. So great. That would have been brilliant. Can we get, you know, can we get, um, I don't know, uh, Matt Damon? I'm just thinking of the most bland, normal no, white guys John, in the world. John Cusack is it. He no. is John Arbuckle. Luke Wilson. Oh, yeah, can we get... <laughs> shit. Oh, shit. That man is John Arbuckle <laughs> oh, every second shit. of his life. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm so psyched for this I can't fan believe casting. you got me into a fan casting of oh, Garfield. I can't beat that either. No, you can't. <laughs> anyway, so, well, yeah, but obviously a lot of those people, Luke Wilson and John Cusack, all passed. And so finally, like, they went to their 15th choice, Breck and Meyer, and he got it. <laughs> so, um, he, you know, yeah, you know things are going to... Breck and, Breck and gonna... Meyer was probably his wife's 15th choice as well. <laughs> oh. Jeez Louise. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Come but on, Breckenmire's not married. <laughs> <laughs> and also this film is directed by the great Pete Hewitt. Oh, yeah. I went and looked up a little bit about this guy. Uh, he made them a movie called Zoom, which was Tim Allen's superhero school movie that mm-hmm. came out a couple of years after this. Yep. He did, he did the odd thing but yeah he mm. i think he's british i looked at one of his you know how imdb will say like if you click on a different movie it'll say people that were interested in this movie were also interested in this uh i clicked on one of pete hewitt's more recent ones and the suggestions for everything else that people were interested in were all his other movies since garfield so i think he's the only one clicking on right. his own imdb page right. <laughs> or maybe it was us in, well yeah maybe it's probably it was just us, us three researching going, what has this man been doing it's written by joel cohen which is as in exciting. the Joel Cohen. No, no, but that is one of the reasons that Bill Murray signed yeah. on. He thought it was the Joel Cohen. It's like Joel Cohen. It's, yeah, it's Joel Cohen with an H yeah. in oh Cohen. And I reckon that guy has definitely got at least four or five projects greenlit just by yeah. being named Joel Cohen, but not people not realizing that he's not that Joel Cohen. So good on him for oh, man, having oh, a good man. scam to get something off the ground. Oh man, oh man. Well, anyway. So my favorite thing about the opening of this movie is that Garfield's alarm clock goes off before John's. So it's got like the typical kind of waking up montage where you see how they both start their day. And yeah, Garfield's alarm clock goes off first. And he says, you know, I hate Mondays. And you know, that Why instantly he, kind of gets He doesn't have a job. Why does he hate Mondays? Because... He, he's a cat. Yeah. Like, I've, I've, got, I've got an extended theory about the movie that <laughs> takes a bit of working up too, so I guess we'll get to that. But okay. I've got a I've got a Monday's idea in there. Oh, okay, okay. Because it really doesn't make any well, sense. He's yeah. a fat blob who doesn't do anything. He yeah, just sits there yeah. and eats lasagnas. Why does he care that it's a Monday? There's actually a, a comic strip from 1979 oh my God. where he says, "I love Mondays." Yeah, and then you're like, "What's going on?" And then 
Should have re- was this re- like an Elseworlds? As, as, <laughs> I should read through that. What if Garfield loved Mondays? So Watcher, the Watcher will will show you this this parallel universe. So you read the second panel, and he still has to explain it. And you're like, "There's one panel left. What's, what's what happens happen? in the second panel? Uh, is he just staring down, yeah. like down the <laughs> barrel of the that. comic strip camera? Because the way what are you going to do, reader? I just said I love Mondays. How are you going to handle it? <laughs> but then he says, "Because I don't have to go to work, so it resolves, and it's another just sort of." That doesn't answer of, the question. It's a one and done kind of Garfield strip. But then why does one he, of the that doesn't answer why he hates Mondays all the other time. Because he doesn't have to go to yeah, exactly. So he he loves Mondays because he doesn't have to go to was work. Was this the was this the origin of the Mondays joke though? Was Jim Davis doing no. that? And then like afterwards he's like, wait a minute, what if I put a twist on that? That he hated Mondays. I oh, think about so five times. It was the early it was the early period okay, Garfield. Okay. Yeah. So it's like Jim Davis was like at first Garfield. Garfield was you know He's like, Garfield is us. We all hate Mondays. He's a representation of all of us. Oh, boy, oh, boy, do we hate Mondays. I'll get the cat to hate Mondays as well. Um, but then he was like, hey, why don't I... I'm a bit... I'm, I'm, I'm getting a bit bored with this idea. Let's... let's Yeah, let's go Elseworld with it. Let's <laughs> let's flip it. But then he just immediately backed down from that idea. I'm hearing that. And he just mm. went back to your similar Garfield mm. as the everyman. Mm-hmm. That he's actually not. He's actually just a quite a, an indulged um, small blob of a thing. Mm. So, should we talk about John Arbuckle for a bit? Well, uh, we get into John Arbuckle. Yeah, so this can... character that's just so fascinating <laughs> to everyone. Well, because he's living the sort of bachelor life with him a cat, Garfield, yeah. with a cat. An amazing house. And yeah. a huge yeah. house. Well, he doesn't have any job, right? So, in the, we don't see him do anything. In the comic strip, he's a cartoonist, hmm. much like Jim Davis. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, so he's always trying to write his cartoon, but it never quite works. And then I think the final Garfield strip is going to be him going, like, looking at Garfield, and he's like, this should be my cartoon strip. And then he, <laughs> it's an extended origin story. Garfield, <laughs> yeah. you know? I think that would be really, really cool. Uh, but <laughs> they, didn't, they, the didn't, cool. Uh, they didn't bring that into the movie. In the movie, he just doesn't really... They never really get into what his job is. Hmm. But he is a bachelor, and disturbingly... In the comic strip, like, Garfield only speaks in thought bubbles, but he still, like, has conversations with John. Well, in this, he, John can't hear what yeah, Garfield says. Yeah, I don't think says. John can understand Garfield. Yeah, so, John's never been able to understand Garfield. No, well, it's always been a bit ambiguous, but they do have back and forths. I so think John the, the does... success of Garfield minus Garfield, the, 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 the comic strip where they photoshop Garfield out and it's just this lonely man talking to himself, show, like, I feel like that demonstrates that John does not understand Garfield, like, that they can't talk yeah. to each other. Well, it's I mean, not... it's, it's played with a bit. Again, like, it's a very sort of playful comic strip in, in right, that way. Fine. But I did think it, it added a level that Garfield is just sort of... I mean, instead of, like, the Thought Bubble things, he's speaking out loud but no humans can hear him. Also, there's, like, CGI animals. There's animals that are real that talk, and then there's real animals that don't talk. Well, this is where I'm going to get into my extended theory. Garfield's the only one that looks like a A cartoon cat. Like, he looks like a CGI cartoon-as-hell cat. The others are... The other animals in this talk to each other as animals, so it's kind of like Rugrats, where the babies can talk to yeah. each other, but the humans can't yeah. understand the babies, and it's like they've just got their own frequency they're on. But Garfield's the only one who doesn't look realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Odie looks like a real dog, um, and we'll get into the fact that Odie doesn't talk. I know he doesn't talk in the mm. comics, but, <laughs> but all the other animals can talk, and... But Garfield's cartoony as hell, and no one else seems to seems to mind this. Everything else is a realistic-looking CG yeah. character. Yeah. yeah. So 
I think Garfield's not a cat. What is he? He's an exiled alien life form a la Stitch from Lilo and Stitch who has taken on an existence where he can live as... So in the, like this as is not pet. for the comics. This is just for the movie. Right. Because in the comics, he looks the same as every other animal. Yeah. Like he has a consistent... They're all cartoons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Garfield is some kind of exiled, like, you know, survivor. He's an elf... Or a, yeah. or, or a Stitch who's just like ingratiated himself into, into human life and is very, very happy. And he hates Mondays because it reminds him of the day his planet was destroyed. Hmm. I mean, That's why yeah. he can live off lasagna. Cats can't live off lasagna. It's bad for them. Is it bad for them? I guess it is. I mean, you've got a lot of cheese in it, which yeah, you probably wouldn't give really to. really not good for No, them. probably not. So I guess... Okay, yeah, I mean, that kind of checks out. Especially, it doesn't make sense that he is the only cartoon cat. Like, either make them all cartoon. Yeah. Or make him a realistic, me. like, just make him a ginger cat. And that, well, that I, sh- I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Because he goes through a lot of, like, violence in this movie. Mm. That I was, oh, and I, he would be dead several yeah, times. Yeah, and I was like, I'm really glad they didn't make him a realistic cat. Because of the amount of things he bumps into, I would be just... Yeah. Like, like, we're all Milo, cat owners on this like, podcast. We're all, yeah. we're all three cat owners. Yes. And I would be really horrified to just watch oh, a cat. Oh, it would be Milo and around. Otis all over it. It yeah. was very disturbing. Like, because they mixed CGI Garfield with real animals who spoke with real animals who didn't speak... Was a bit confusing as to where sentience, where the bounds of sentience that is are. A weird thing. Like, like what animals is... are intelligent and self-aware and what are? Because there's mice that are intelligent, yeah. but then there's dogs that are, but then there's dogs that aren't. Well, there's only it's only Odie that never speaks. Like a lot of other, they show other dogs who bark and then speak later. So I assume yeah. that's that they just are choosing not to interact at various times. So is... Odie seems to be the only one who but can't it kind speak. of it kind of rem- oh sorry is Odie mentally well how. Challenged. Is this like a Pluto Goofy situation? Yeah. Where like Pluto is a dog, Goofy's a dog, but Goofy walks upright, has clothes, and speaks, and Pluto just lives an actual dog dog existence. Yeah. It it reminds me a bit of like, in terms of like where the bounds of sentience are, like the whole Toy Story conundrum, Mm. where it's like toys that kind of look like action figures can you know speak and think and all that stuff stuff like woody and buzz and all that but it's like where are the where do you draw the line for that because then you get into toys which are less and less kind of like anthropomorphic and i'm like what if there was like just like a a yo-yo or something with no with no eyes and mouth is it just like completely self-aware and just like screaming internally because it can't (laughs) communicate and can't do anything like is that is that a toy? Is there like a Rubik's Cube in a dump somewhere just yeah. going like... Because I, it can't, it's not going to decay for another 5,000 years and it can't communicate with anything. I thought it was implicit in Toy Story that all objects have sentience, but toys are the only ones who can actually interact with us. They have the mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah, whereas like every chair is I have no yeah. mouth and I must scream. Yeah. Just. Wow. But I mean, maybe uh, that's the sort of vibe I got from Garfield. It's like, yeah, <laughs> what's intelligent? What isn't? Why all does right. Garfield look like a... Extension to my theory that I'm just that I'm just free freehanding right now. But what if Garfield's presence on Earth, because he only it only seems to be cat animals that interact with him who then start to speak. There's a bit oh, where he addresses yeah. animals at the vet, mm. and none of them say anything for a few minutes. And then one of them says, "Does anyone know this guy?" So he's actually got some kind yeah. of like animal sentience virus that he's passing yeah. around. And he hasn't spent enough time with Odie yet. Yeah. So Odie's yeah. maybe been inoculated by his time at the vet. Oh, or I think Odie's just too pure for this world that he lives in in this movie. Oh, Odie's the Silent Bob. Uh, Odie's, <laughs> Odie's gonna like the, the, the end of the third Garfield movie. Odie's gonna turn back and go like, "Hey, 
Mondays ain't so bad. <laughs> I'm surprised. They <laughs> and he's voiced by like Keith video. David or something. Yeah. Like he's got a real smooth oh, voice. Man. Okay, talking about back to Odie. Odie was my only one and only shining light in this film. <laughs> Odie was because adorable. it's a cute dog. He was a cute little <laughs> yeah. dog who got up and danced. Yep, and it was cute. He danced to the Black Eyed Peas. Which I don't like, but still, he, he that you know. That's so weird. Th- like, there was this song, I think it's called Hey Mama. It is called Hey Mama. And, and this song was somehow like a little kind of like subliminal message to this little adorable little mutt. I think he's like crossed between some sort of terrier and a dash hound because he's sort of long and short, but he's got a little scruffy face. And uh, yeah, and he uh, he's a really friendly little dog. The cutest thing about him was because even though, um, and this is the cute thing about the comics, is even though Garfield's really mean to him, he's always really friendly and likes Garfield, mm. which is really, really adorable. And so, and also he likes to dance and gets up and dances with Garfield, which is very cute, to the Black Eyed Bees, Hey Mama. And it's because they're at a dog show and they play Hey Mama that um, Odie mm. then gets up and dances in front of everyone and he's a star. See, see, you really enjoyed Odie in this movie, and it was like, but possibly it's. I think it's fair to say the only part of the movie. That Absolutely, I so just I said think, that. But for me, I'm I'm conflicted because I don't think they should have used Odie in the first movie. I think it's way too early. I think you think they should have done a Batman Begins style yeah. pre-credit sting of like, hey. I got a dog you should check out. <laughs> well, I think the post-credit sting should have been uh, Lyman, his neighbor, moving into the house next door, yeah. and then you just maybe hear barking from the moving truck, <laughs> or you just see him like he's bringing a box in. John Arbuckle's like, "Hey, welcome to the neighborhood," and then you see he's bringing in a dog bowl, and maybe Garfield looks at the dog bowl and is like, "Uh oh," like. Oh, but there goes Odie, the neighborhood, or something like that. But hang on a minute, isn't Odie? But that you're just suggesting that Odie is his neighbor. Odie is his is John's dog as well, right? In well, the comics. so in the comic, uh, Odie originally belonged to Lyman, John's right. neighbor. But Lyman okay. was kind of written out of the strip uh, in the early eighties, right. and um, Odie then just sort of mysteriously moved in, and no one really knows what happened okay. to Lyman. Okay. Uh, so going by you know the canon, and again I said like I wanted more of a straight adaptation. It was one of the things that kind of really bugged me about this movie, so the the liberties they took with some of the origin. But I think that would have been a way to sort of really please the fans and also like sort of you know hints at you know the future franchise and the sort of Garfield verse of like these potential spin-off movies. Like you could have a normal movie, you could have an Odie movie. Uh, you could have maybe sort of a John and Liz movie. But I definitely think for that first movie, setting up this extended franchise, just have it Garfield and John, the core relationship. Would you call the Avengers team-up movie they would eventually have Garfield and Friends? I, I, that, I <laughs> you would have to great, call yeah, it Yeah, Garfield right? and Friends, definitely. Yeah. Um, but that would be earned by that stage. I don't think they would. I don't think they could ever they earn that. There's earn, not enough good I don't think world. they earned Odie. They just threw in Odie, threw in Nermal, and it was just, I think, too much too Who's soon. Who's Nermal? Nermal? Nermal was the, the grey cat, uh-huh. sort of yeah. very sassy. He's a kitten in the comics. Yeah. Oh. They, they, again, ruined, ruined the origin. Yeah, well, I really wish I cared. It's kind of like some of these DCEU movies where they'll just use the character's name and then he's got nothing to do with the actual character from the comics. So, uh, Garfield and John wake up and... (laughs) Are we still here? Are we really doing a plot by a plot plot plot. summary? This is the tropiest fucking thing. Like Everything about this is you already know everything that goes on. And here is the thing that I will say I did enjoy just because it's 
playing into a thing that I already love making fun of, and I feel like he's just having fun with it. Stephen Tobolowski yeah. is the villain in this movie, and he's the classic uh, kids' movie villain trope of I've seen a talented dog. I want that dog. That dog will somehow make me rich and famous. Yeah. So I'm going to kidnap it. Yeah. Like that's the, that's his whole thing. Like, ah, oh, I need that dog. Yeah, yeah. Get me that dog. And yeah. then when he gets the dog, he even like taught, like is really extra mean to him and puts like a torture device on yeah. him. Yeah. Like he just cartoonishly. Yes. That was evil. very upsetting as well because I feel like the benefit of having CGI Garfield is that yeah, as Owen said, like when it gets into slapstick situations, doesn't really matter. But when you see an actual dog, oh yeah, like getting electrocuted repeatedly, yeah, and, like they depict it. actual animal cruelty in this movie, and they have yeah. other characters call that out as no, you can't do that. That's inhumane, <laughs> which is good in the sense of like teaching children you shouldn't put shock collars on. Yeah, no. not really that funny things. though. Also, the not other funny drawback, at all. The other drawback of having uh, real animals mixed with CGI one is there's a lot of dog penises in this movie, like. <laughs> I did not notice that. I didn't that. notice them either. I, Odie, his style of dancing is very... Uh, <laughs> that is the one part of Jim Davis's uh, original creation they made sure to add out very faithfully. Yeah. There's a lot of animal penises yeah. all through the comic strip. It's what he's known for, especially... More in the, red meat for the fans. Yeah, especially <laughs> in the late 80s. He went through a real period of just really getting detailed on... Yeah, well, just, I mean... Just Odie's dick is that, out all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is this what you wanted, Kyle? It is. Did you want an episode where we talk just, about Odie's dick? I is that do, what you wanted I for this podcast? Do. Are you happy? I mean, at least they got that right. They got his ears wrong. His ears didn't really match up. Another yeah, thing where I was like, like I, I turned to Steph and I was like, mm, do, the, do, do those ears really like scream <laughs> Odie to you? Uh, and and that's what like, point when I started um, like actually cutting myself to, to make oh. myself feel something. But, um, but yeah, it was an interesting you point mentioned, for uh, me. You uh, mentioned late 80s Garfield. Uh, I was also kind of thinking like, you know, how would I adapt Garfield into a movie? And I was just thinking Garfield started in 1978. Uh, if you're going to do a Garfield adaptation properly, it's got to be set in the Cold War. <laughs> and I think you got to go back to that period in, in 1978. It was sort of like the end of the first phase of the Cold War. You know, in 1979, uh, the USSR makes its push into Afghanistan, which uh, ratchets up ratchets up sort of the international tensions uh, between the US and uh, sort of increases uh, that era of sort of proxy wars. And I think that's something that I wanted to see threaded into the background of uh, of a Garfield movie. This is a bit of world building. Um, uh, listeners who would like to hear Kyle talk about the Cold War in other episodes can check out Watchmen from our first season, where he tries to convince us that there is such a thing as a Cold War song. <laughs> See, you could, uh, you could definitely. It was ninety nine Luftballons. <laughs> that is definitely a Cold War song. It's a song that came out during the Cold War. It's about nuclear war. It's about ninety nine balloons. Ninety nine balloons <laughs> that trigger a nuclear war yeah. because they, 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 they appear on the right. Anyway, another thing that happened in the seventies, interesting. Uh, interestingly, uh, is Nothing in 19, <laughs> 1977, so a year before the Garfield strip first came out, right. uh, a serial killer called Son of Sam yeah. uh, was active in America. Now, Son of Sam was caught in 1977, uh, just uh, a year shy of the first Garfield comic. Son of Sam told uh, the, uh, the trial uh, at his hearing that he was ordered to kill people by his neighbor's dog who spoke to him telepathically and gave him orders. So I think, uh, okay. I mean, I don't want to say that that should be integrated into Garfield, but I do yeah, find I the see. similarities. I, is your similarity that there is a dog? 
a deaf speaking dog. That's that the one thing Garfield doesn't have. <laughs> I, We've established I, I, that Odie doesn't speak. <laughs> Look, I'm just throwing things out there. I, I can I, tell. I let out a bit of a Wikipedia wormhole when I was uh, researching this. Yeah, we, we can tell. Okay, let's right. move on. So anyway, he lives with... So Garfield and John live together in this house. John doesn't seem to have a, a job. Garfield is a fat, disgusting slob who hates everyone. He's a complete dick to everyone. I can't stand him. Not helped by the fact that I don't really like Bill Murray and I don't understand why people like him. But anyway, moving on. They live together. Then what happens is John takes um, Garfield to the vet where he's got a big crush on Liz, the veterinarian. Mm. Anyway, Garfield for some reason gets a haircut to look like uh, to look like Elvis at the vet. That's not what vets do. That's a cat hair haircut place. The, El- the, the vet- Elvis joke was just another topical reference yeah, that great kids hit. love. For 2004. Anyway, <laughs> so Garfield's there getting his hair done. But while he's there getting his hair done, Liz brings to, to John this adorable little dog who doesn't speak. He's a little scruffy little mutt guy. His name's Odie. And she says, do you want Odie? And he takes Odie. Also, partly because he likes him, but partly because he likes Liz. And then Garfield sees Odie in the car and is like, what, what, what? I now have to live with a dog. Then John brings Odie home. And this is what I noticed when he brought Odie home. He said to Odie, here's the house. There's where the TV is, Odie. Why would you tell the dog where the TV is? In case he wants to know where the TV is. But what? But he's a dog. He's a little <laughs> dog that doesn't talk. All he wants to do is probably eat, sleep, go to the toilet. Like, I mean, that's it's what consistent do, right? with John's character. Yeah, he's John is not a... good at interacting with people, and he does just talk to animals as though they're human. John is a very, very lonely man. He's, he's a single guy that has like a fridge full of pre-made lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, my favorite. To be little... fair, we do as well. Yeah, that's true. But my my favorite little glimpse into John's life it just came during a montage where Garfield like steals his dinner but it shows John actually eating food out of a bowl do you remember that? Well, yeah, the, he, gets, he gets his dinner and Garfield's sort of mixed up and they're both just eating out of like cat food well, bowls. Well, it's like cold, he, cold lasagna like without, no, no, a, without it was, cutlery. It was a thing called a hash and dash and it did look like a cat bowl yeah. and it did look like cat food but it was like his breakfast. Yeah. Uh, what the fuck is hash and dash? What is it? Is it like a hash? I'm, I'm assuming some poor intern had to spend ages researching the most... Cat food looking food that is still like edible by humans right. that is still sold for human consumption. Just so they could do that. Just for that gag. That gag. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god. Because like I would have, I would have perfectly accepted that gag if he just made like regular bacon and eggs on a plate, mm. and then Garfield still switched the plates, and he like was looking at the TV or the, yeah. reading the newspaper, and just holds out his fork. And he, the the gag works just as fine, but instead, yeah, you're right. Hash and dash. What the fuck? Which, anyway. Yeah. So what did you think of the chemistry between John and Liz? Terrible. I mean, they look like they're both just hanging out I on mean, set. Really. They're, they're both just standing there saying lines, if that's what you mean. I mean, yeah, it's... Uh, I already said how I think Jennifer Love Hewitt was in this film. She was terrible. There was... It was... This movie isn't very good, all right? <laughs> and so... When you ask questions like that, Kyle, I know you're trying to do a thing, right? You're trying to make trying these. To, you're trying, trying to make this analogy between a real life thing, but podcast. it's it's not going to work because it's not a very good movie. Just and it to doesn't talk about my favorite comic. <laughs> it's not your favorite Iron comic. Fist? It is not your favorite comic, Kyle. Anyway, um, even, yeah. so I don't even know what happens in that. Oh yeah. So first of all, he doesn't really like Odie, and they get into all sorts of trouble. But then they 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 listen to Hey Mama. On the, on the TV 
and then they dance together. Mm. Music brings them together. Yeah, and the whole time, because they spend a long time on this dance sequence. Yes. Like, mm. more, I think at that point, there has been more time on that dance sequence than any human character development anywhere yeah. in the movie. It's just, and, it's just like both of them wiggling their yeah, butts. Yeah, and it's so built up, and like Garfield's like, come on, out the door. Like, he's going, he like lures Odie out the cat door. Um, while they're dancing and the fact that it's gone so long I was like oh he's like playing a prank on him where he's going to lock him out of the house yeah. and then no he was just enjoying dancing with him and they just felt like this is also right in the middle of the time where an extended dance sequence in a kids movie was like guaranteed yeah. going to happen in yeah, anything it feels with... like kind of um, what's the little Lima guy um, Shaky Boom Boom yeah, or whatever Madagascar? Yeah, 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 yeah yeah he's always doing that and... yep. it was in like every kids movie yeah, around this yeah, time yeah. so I guess they were like you just have to do that yeah but then it's funny you say that because later on he does do that trick on him. He, he lures Odie yeah. outside and locks him out. Oh, so maybe it's foreshadowing. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm just not giving Joel Cohen enough credit True. for his screenwriting it's the prowess. Classic three-panel build-up. <laughs> Set up. Your, your, your pledge. Your twist. Your prestige. <laughs> oh Alright, there is one thing I would have liked to see from the comics, which is Garfield walking along and there's a sunbeam in front of him, but he's not yet in the sunbeam. Garfield walks into the sunbeam and then Garfield immediately falls asleep in the sunbeam and he can't exit the sunbeam because he walked into it. Is that, is that a classic? That's a classic yeah. Garfield that was, structure. Um, June, June 8th, 2006, oh my God. I think. So that, that, that strip actually came out after the movie was, was released. But yeah, I, I think that sort of format would really, have, uh, would really have helped. Can I ask a question? Do you think kids would like this movie? No, there's no jokes in it. There well, are no actual jokes no. in this movie. And also the jokes that are there are a bit dated. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think kids are going to be laughing at a got milk joke. They're not even jokes. They're literally just like... The closest thing there is to a joke, and it's a fourth wall breaking joke, so it's cheap as hell yeah. anyway. And it, and it and they have no conciseness to the timing. It's really like drawn out yeah. and labours the point. Kind of like if someone uh, wanted to keep up a bit for an hour over a podcast episode. <laughs> it's that kind of delivery. <laughs> um... So Garfield says something like he's he's looking at a cat on television who's Stephen Tobolowsky's uh, performing cat, and he's like, "Oh, look look at the famous TV cat with all the merchandise and everything else. I wouldn't like that." And then he grins and looks at the camera for like ten seconds just to drive the point home of, "Do you get it? I'm making a joke about how Garfield's very successful." Oh my god! I'm Jim Davis. I'm inside the CGI cat. John Malkovich style. I can't escape. Help me. I would have. I would have liked a Jim Davis actual cameo. Uh, that would have like been a like a like a Stanley yeah. type. Thing. I don't know what he looks like, so there might have been one. Yeah, I didn't yeah. look I up to see I if there was one. I was one. keeping my eye my eye out, and I, I didn't really. see You do know what he looks like? Yeah, I, I know very well what he looks like. <laughs> he doesn't know what I look like, but I. Know what he looks like. <laughs> he will know now. Oh dear. <laughs> this this podcast is going straight to mm, Jim Davis's inbox. Damn, you know damn. that. Oh man. Okay, so, so um, go, oh sorry, you go. No, no. Are, we, are you going to talk about the plot, or are you going to go on another part of your bit? Because I'd like uh, to speed this up a little. bit. Okay, so I was just going to talk about how it was really harsh when Garfield locked Odie out in the snow. It, well, it wasn't snowing, but yes, it was harsh, especially yeah. because well, it wasn't. It was especially harsh because what happened was Garfield got kicked out, and Odie went to go to bed with John, but then Odie came out to sleep with Garfield because he's a sweet little dog mm. who wants to be friends, and then Garfield locked him out. Yeah. Garfield is a really, really, really awful character in this movie. He's mean, he's nasty, he's not funny. What about the bit where he falls out of a 20-story window? He would be dead. He would be dead. 
if he were a cat. Right, right. But he is not. He has a different biology. And so his extended fall into a lasagna truck. <laughs> That's pretty funny now that I think about it. <laughs> she was <laughs> laughing her head off at this movie. I was not. I was giggling at Odie when he did his little dance. Okay? Yeah. That's all. But, yeah, now that I think about it, falling into a vat of a lasagna is pretty funny. I, is this a thing where... Uh, that's that's the, the kind rooms. of Garfield joke you can only do on the big screen. So that's the sort of stuff that I would have liked to see more, see more of. But it's just, a, it's just a pity we get little little glimpses of greatness like the cat falling into the lasagna truck, uh, which must have been so bittersweet for him when you think about it. Because, you know, he loves lasagna, but, I mean, it's, it's such a... The adrenaline would have been pumping... And it's just like he's gone from like sort of out of the mm. frying pan into the fire, and I don't know. There's just a lot going oh on with that one particular thing, so what and you just can't fit that into three pounds. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it should have been more like that, and just no Odie, just leave Odie. So out then, of what it. happens is after Odie's been um, locked out, he runs away because he's a dumb little dog, mm. and he runs to this old lady's house, and this old lady picks him up, and then of course this is at this time Odie's already yeah wowed them at the dog show with his cute little dancing so everyone loves Odie so then um then then Stephen Tobolowsky for some reason finds out that he's at this you know bad movies like this thing you don't really what you don't get is like any sense of plot because it's like one minute they're somewhere then they're somewhere else and you don't really know how things happen like you're just sort of like and then somehow Stephen Tobolowsky turns up at her house and... She put up found dog oh, okay, posters around right, and he so... saw Odie. It's a lot of coincidence. Like, he saw Odie at a dog show and went, oh, I want that dog that dances to the Black Eyed Peas because everyone loves them and always will. Yeah. Like, that's nev- that train's never going to stop. No. Um, speaking of, he gets a train to New York. Yeah. We, yeah. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. He, and then, then, uh, then Odie runs away. Then uh, an old woman finds Odie and yep. puts up found dog posters. Then Stephen Tobolowsky happens to see the found dog posters yep. and goes, oh, it's the Black Eyed Peas dog. Yep. And so he just goes and lies and says, mm. I'm here to pick up my dog. Mm. So then he takes Odie and then, yeah, he's going to make Odie do tricks on TV or something because mm-hmm. he's like this TV vet guy or something. Yep. And uh, he's going to put an awful collar on him. And that's when John and Liz and Garfield all realise that, uh, that Odie is gone and they all start sort of looking at for him but sort of separately and there's um you know garfield sort of realizes that it's his fault and actually he kind of likes Odie, Mm. even though he wouldn't admit it Mm. so he goes off to save Odie, and then he goes into the city um in which there's a seek and then he 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 finds himself in, in the big building where Odie is for whatever reason and there's a sequence where he's in the air vents and the security guards at (laughs) at at, at the thing for some reason see this big glow orange glowing dot yeah they have alien tracking technology like in like in alien or aliens and and they start going oh let first of all first of all why would they have any sort of tracking on their vents at all a second of all what what is in their software that would suggest would be cat detection like is it (laughs) is it heat is it body heat what is what is it that or is, does Garfield have some sort of chip in him? But how are they tracking him? And why are they tracking him? That what is the definitely, fuck is going on? That's definitely like a thing that, especially as a kid, I just assumed it happened in the world. Of course it, it from doesn't movies, happen. That, that all vents and all sort of pipe systems have like 
real-time tracking through every point in yeah. the pipe system. Yeah, 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 with like some sort of like And it's dot. also in Batman Begins. Yeah. <laughs> that's not real. They are a, no, I know, but I just mean like I'm, I'm saying they're trading on an existing trope that I'm like, you know what, I'll give that one a pass just because that's already in <laughs> some of them you kind of buy because for some reason they can detect heat, but they make a point to say sort of like, oh, it's a heat detection or whatever yeah. it is. In this, they didn't even do that. They just somehow saw a little orange dot. Yeah. To represent the orange cat yep. in this, and it's just, it just, uh, that's the point where I really kind of started to kind of lose my my marbles a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that broke you. That I really did. I'm surprised they didn't make a Die Hard reference. Well, like he's crawling through the air vents to save someone, and they didn't go for a yippee kind. That's not that good. It's not that good. A bit too modern a reference for the Garfield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, what I mean, it's it's on par with everything else they've done. Anyway, he finds Odie, but then he can't get him, uh, and then he just he, misses him, and they get away. Oh, that's and, right. And then yeah. he goes to the pound. He gets caught. Yeah, he gets caught by animal control. And, and then yeah, and then he makes friends at the pound with all the other animals, and they help him escape to yeah. go get Odie. And yeah, that's because when they've been infected by his alien super intelligence virus. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, John and Liz are still looking there, and then John and Liz realize that they're going to be at the. Um, uh, they're going to take the train, and then so does so does Garfield. So everyone's everyone is now headed towards this train station. Mm. So is Stephen Tobolowsky's character on the no fly list? Is that the kind of implication <laughs> here that he is like this movie came out in two thousand and four, so it's just a couple of years after yeah. some things happened that yep. that caused air travel to be a lot air travel security to right. be a lot more stringent. Was September eleven on a Monday? <laughs> I, oh, I can't remember. Oh god! I think it was a Tuesday. Honestly, no, I, don't, I don't know. No, um, I don't think it was a Monday. But yeah, um, no, that that would have. It is a Monday in 2017. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, yeah, look. Oh the, the, I mean, Garfield say would have just gone from bad to worse. Okay, we don't need to. <laughs> It's my fault for bringing it up. But Stephen Dobolowski can't catch a plane to New York. He has to catch an Amtrak train. And then his whole plan is, I've got an audition at a big-time TV studio with my back-flipping dog. Like... Nothing about that is going to work out for him. It's it's going to be the that's the beginning of every like dance movie where someone's like, "I'm going to the big city for my audition." Yeah. And then you find out you weren't so hot after all, kid. No. That's all that's ahead for him. But yeah, there's going to be like, a lot more cuter dogs doing a lot better backflips. He's got like what one trick? Yeah, yeah. he he wouldn't even get very far on stupid pet tricks. On no, yeah. no, exactly. Anyway, um, so then Garfield kind of saves Odie and they go for a little run. Garfield breaks into the. Uh, Control room, yeah. yes. Of the, of the train. Oh my god, that's right. And he has a line. This is the thing where it feels like one of those things that got lost in rewrites, or I just wasn't paying attention for the the initial setup or something. But he says that he gets into the control room of the trains, and he says, "Well, if John can do it, so can I." Is it because John uses <laughs> says, oh, train sets? Yeah, because he says like, "Oh, it's just like model trains, but bigger." And then, if, yeah, and it but seems like it's yeah. from a callback because, in like, was there a sequence where John was like playing with model trains and Garfield messed it up, and they just cut that whole bit out? I but do then, feel yeah. like John had. I mean, John had a lot of fucking knickknacks in his house. Yeah, he, I would buy that. that. He was a bit of a hoarder. He, yeah. he had a lot of shit, and so yeah, I do. There definitely could have been train sets falling in one of the many pratfalls yeah. that, that, that you know the Garfield gets himself into in yeah. that house so Garfield, it's definitely possible yeah and then Garfield just hits a bunch of switches and nearly crashes like 20 trains yeah. into each other like, it's like it would have been an actual like yeah. devastating it's, hundreds of people dead you talk kind about of thing. 9-11 yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be like the great Amtrak you know yeah. fucking yeah what city are they in? 
It's it's unambiguous. It's sort of yeah. like not unambiguous. It's ambiguous. Right. Um, it's, it could be any city. Sort of, yeah, any any town you want to say. Roughly train distance from New York. Right, right, right. I assume it's close enough to New York that you wouldn't bother getting a plane there. I mean, yeah. It's like Philadelphia or uh, something. It's, like that. Yeah, it's most, yeah, it's something like that. And okay. you don't want to go on the turnpike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know enough about this. I just know there's a turnpike. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so he stops all the trains. Then he gets one of the trains back, and then he goes and gets Odie. Oh, and then he commands. Like this is the other thing yeah. that um, mm. he. He commands all of the other animals who he has woken up to sentience in his journey. Ah. Uh, and they all attack Stephen Jodorowsky. Yeah. Oh, I've got a note. Um, villain mauled to death. <laughs> well, yeah, I was very disappointed later when you see him stand up and he still has a face. Like, yeah. I feel like it's kind of implied that the dogs are going to chew his face off. Those, those are real sort of junkyard dogs as yeah, well. Yeah, they're mean. Oh, and rats and mice. And yeah. can we talk about oh, the black mouse? With rats. There's... The- the, the little oh, the, mouse the, the, that's the, like from the, the ghetto, the street coated mouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. he's definitely coated black. I think he was performed by uh, Luke uh, Nick Cannon. Luke Cannon. I think it was Nick Cannon because I was looking at the um. Right. He was the only black person on the mm. on the list that I could tell. Yeah, they gave they just give him like a bunch of like. like hey man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did we say oink oink to the? Oh, <laughs> yeah. He says, "Watch out for the popo." You know, the five o. And and then I think he eventually clarifies, I mean animal control. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, but I think he says oink oink or something. He definitely like says oink oink after that, yeah. just to get in another. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, mm. and then rats are disgusting though in this movie, and they kind of try. They're also swarming Stephen Tobolowsky. Yeah, it was quite vicious, but then he was fine. He got up and he had like a couple of scratches on him. Yeah, and they put a shock collar on him, and then yeah. he's like, "No, no, don't!" But like, he has full use of his hands. Yeah. He could have taken the shock collar off. That's the thing. He, but they they start shocking him, and then he yeah. then he gets like uh, John punches him. Just yeah. To, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just to just to reinforce the the. Reinforces will, yeah. yeah. You gotta like get some get some violence in there. Yep. And um, that's basically it. Yeah. Then, then Liz and Liz and John pick up um, Garfield and Odie and give them all cuddles because they're one big happy family. Mm, and then yeah. it cuts to like them like living all together, watching TV, and and uh, Garfield's up to his old tricks, just yeah. pushing Odie off the couch, which is again pretty yeah. mean because all Odie wants to do is cuddle and have fun. The funny thing with that is. I mean, again, it comes down to the use of CGI versus animals, but when Garfield pushes Odie, it's like a real dog that someone's, like, tied a piece of rope to and then, like, subsequently, like, <laughs> washed it out in post and then just yanked it off the couch. Oh, yeah. Like, you can just <laughs> see where they've tied it to Odie's, like, collar or whatever. Yeah. And they're just they're yanking him all over the place and then they just, like, CGI Garfield pushing him. Yeah. There's oh. a bit where um, John, like, just scratches Garfield's head. It's, like, right at the start. And... Like all credit to the CG animators doing the best they can because it's obviously just like Brokemeyer's just put out his hand and just kind of yeah, waved it yeah, a bit, yeah. and it still looks like he just kind of whacks Garfield in the head. Yeah, <laughs> because oh. it's very it's it's hard to do realistic like you know movement with with this when you just got a ping pong ball and a stick. This was there. 2004, like the like Andy Circus kind of mocap sort of stuff had only just become mainstream, and I mean I don't think they would have had the budget. Well, the the that year. Uh, Spider-Man 2 was the recipient of the uh, Academy Award for Visual Effects. Wow. So if you want to know like the standard, like the the standard mm. that we should be judging mm. it against, it's probably Spider-Man 2 and I guess Return of the King, which was the year before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's about that, and it definitely doesn't hold up to to that standard. And they only had to do one thing, which was make that which cat. was Garfield. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, I guess and move some like real animal 
like you know these cats. Oh yeah, the, but that, that technology was already figured out by then because we had cats and dogs. Yeah, like, true. And and oh, I don't was know. That if, already out by that. I'm sure that was that out was by way then. better CGI. Yeah, it's a better. I don't know if it's out <laughs> if better or if it was later. But look, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> um, Thankfully, it's not based on a comic book or a comic strip or anything graphically related. So we will never be talking about that movie. <laughs> Kyle, looking at your um, your scribbled notes of a madman, have you got anything else you uh, want to bring up? Because I, I want to wrap this guy up. I think I've up. covered it. Uh, what have I got? Yeah, Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. <laughs> um, mouse reads black. Uh, oh, um, some fan casting. Uh, I think if they do a Kathy movie, Amy Schumer, just throwing that out there. Um, what else have I got? Uh, Kevin Sorbo as Mallard Fillmore, um, <laughs> Son of Sam. Did I do the Son of yeah, Sam? Yeah, yeah you did, did the Son did of I Sam. Go bit. through yeah. Son of Sam. Yeah, I think you did. Um, yeah. I think I think that's that's pretty much. It. So the Son of Sam thing was like was you wrote that down? That wasn't just yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, cool. I yeah, you, you planned oh, that and um, came in with it. Okay. Hagar the horrible, uh, maybe the Hound from Game of Thrones. I think I was in um, the guy that plays the hound. Do yeah. you want it, or do you just want the hound <laughs> from I, Game of Thrones to be, <laughs> yeah. to be two, two separate notes? Just cross I don't over know that connection, crossover universe. <laughs> um, uh, that's that's pretty. We covered uh, Mondays, covered lasagna, covered dog dicks, uh, Odie lipsticking all over the place. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much uh, it. There is one thing I wanted to bring up, okay. and I did I did take one uh, so as a thought experiment. I went okay. If you had to adapt some kind of story from the Garfield comics, what could you do? Mm-hmm. If you had to make a story out of Garfield, and there is an, a story that you could do that I would accept, and you'd never make it because it's terrifying. Okay. But canonically, in the Garfield comics, there was a whole section around Halloween one year, I think somewhere in the 80s. 1989. Yep. If you Google Garfield dying alone in house, there are write-ups on it that are well worth your time. Uh, go check it out. There's a summary. But basically, Garfield, like... Jim Davis just went dark as hell for like a week on the comic strip. Right. And like um, Garfield wakes up and John and Odie have moved. Like the entire house is abandoned and Garfield is just alone wandering through the house. And then he starts hearing voices and he's going mad with starvation. It's horrifying. Yeah. And it's not even like... It's, it's not even really played for a, ever played for a joke. It's so just do they, like... Do they come back? Yes, but it's this weird thing where it kind of seems like maybe everything in the comic strip after that has been a fever dream. Yeah. Uh. Where he's just... Because he just literally goes, oh, I want them to come back. And then he sees them and everything's back to normal. Yeah. And it's uh. this weird kind of thing where maybe he's been he's dead just... since 1989. This is a, this is a uh, Jacob's Ladder scenario. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is absolutely. It's Garfield's Ladder. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a real arc that happened. I yeah. strongly suggest you read it. Um, yeah. Also, another, <laughs> another good launching point, uh, both for new readers to Garfield and for like possible like movie adaptations. I'd have to say uh, there was an early trade paperback called Garfield Gains Weight. Uh, it's the one that's got Garfield on the. Yeah. Uh, it's got Garfield on the cover saying, "I never met a lasagna I didn't like," and I think that would have also been a good sort of <laughs> arc to to adapt to the big screen, or, or still could be perhaps in the future. Um, so yeah, those two those two runs of Garfield, I think, would give you a pretty solid uh, ground for a, a future. Oh my god! Okay, so do we want to quickly rate Stephen Tobolowsky's plan? I don't even know what the character's name was. I did yesterday and I forgot. Yeah, anyway, um, do we want to... Like, his plan was to get a... Do- I think he already said, like, his plan is shit. Like, he wants to go and yeah, be famous. What? 
Well, if you're just going to... That gonna, dog will make me famous. Right. If electrocuting yeah. a dog makes it do a flip instantly, then why do you need a talented dog? Couldn't you just stick it on any dog? Yeah. And also, what does Stephen Toblowski bring to that? He, yeah. like, bought a commercially available shot collar. Like, also, he was already rich and famous for, for his animals. So. Yeah, but he wasn't big enough. He was a yeah. small time. Yeah, he wanted to, like, fight his, his brother, his more successful brother, oh, yeah. which was Stephen yeah. Toblowski in a wig, which, yeah. to be honest, wasn't that bad looking. No, like, uh, yeah... <laughs> Carries it pretty for well. For the ladies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something for the ladies. It was another little shiny Because Brecken Meyer's not doing it nah, for anyone. Nah. Sorry, anyway. Brecken, sorry. Oh, I know you're listening. <laughs> we love you, Brecken. We lo- I love doing Car Hardly Wait. Your Boba Fett work in Robot Chicken was really fun. Oh, dear. <laughs> cool. um, so that's Garfield, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> Is it over? Can we stop talking I think it's about over. it? I, I think, I think we done. can, like, we're at 55 minutes. Yeah. I'm happy to, like, finish it, guys. Like, let's yeah. never speak of this again. Nope. No. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to plug it up now. Um, listen to me on 3MBS um, Arts Weekly every second Saturday, 103.5 FM. Oh, uh, my other podcast is Last Stop to Nowhere at laststoptonowhere.com. Uh, it's on Australian history. And I'm an improviser. You can normally catch me in shows, but at the moment I'm taking a bit of time off from performing, so I've not really got much to plug, except I am going to be on another podcast, which uh, is coming out at the moment. It's called Fate and Fables, and it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, hosted by a friend of mine who's a very talented DM, and they're sort of self-contained campaigns of about six or seven episodes each. I am one of the characters in the campaign called The Fletchley Contracts, and you can hear that right now. It's available on iTunes and wherever else you get podcasts fate and fables cool Come listen to me do a voice and roll some dice and cast some spells and do a bunch of other what's your character yeah uh, his name's thistledown fletchley he's a druid oh. he's like an old grizzled druid who's like come back from the woods to punch his brother in the face can we hear a taste of the voice uh, it's basically me but with a slight english accent <laughs> okay <laughs> so check that out it's a lot of fun awesome well, uh, that's the end of the show. We apologise wholeheartedly for making you think about Garfield for more than 10 seconds. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.